a podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Ian, let's call ourselves the doctor because we got the immunity in the form of a Tropical MBA episode to the greatest pandemic affecting the entrepreneurial community. Shiny object syndrome is a horrible syndrome that at one point has taken all kinds of entrepreneurial family members. And today we need to fight it (laughs) in the form of a podcast with hopefully a lot of great ideas. How are you doing, Ian? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing great, man. I'm thinking about the association that we're going to create around the shiny object syndrome vaccine, potentially. That's right. It's going to be endorsed by celebrities, business celebrities. Yep. But there's going to be a whole group of alternative people that say, we want to live with this disease. You should be ashamed of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We've got so many good emails about shiny object syndrome, about focusing on one thing versus a lot of different things, about going zero to one as a superpower. Versus as something that really hurts when you get to one and then you're like, what about the zero? Like, look at all these zeros everywhere. <laughs> get those to one too. And this is everywhere in our community. And we are going to take an episode to talk about it. Because when I get these emails from listeners, I'm like, I feel you. I feel what you're struggling with. And I struggle with it too. We won't take some time to talk about it. So there's that. Before we get to that, I want to talk a couple, couple news items. If you love this podcast, we are hiring a producer of the show. Some people call it a showrunner, which sounds awesome. It's close to like a Blade Runner, but it's a showrunner. Or uh, some people call it a marketer. We're looking for someone with marketing and podcast experience that wants to come work with us full time. We're calling it the TMBA producer. And the job is live now. So if you want to come work with us, click on your telephone, email to your friends, tweet it out, let everyone know. This is the first time we've hired for this role, Ian, since 2015. I think it's a big opportunity for everyone involved to completely up-level their career. Hell yeah, it is. This show is not going from zero to one, my friends. It's going from one to two. We're going to go from one to... Anybody wants to take it to two? (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So check the link in the show notes. In other news, I just got back from Playa del Carmen. I was down there on vacation doing some, there's a French term for it, reconnaissance, reconnaissance, doing some reconnaissance on our DC Mexico plans, Ian. And I wanted to share a few thoughts with you about it if you have a moment. I'm very interested to know what the pre-party party looked like. Well, the first thing I'll say is this. I'm going to get a lot of flack for this comparison, but I'm going to give you my take on Playa del Carmen and see what you think. Playa del Carmen for me is a little bit like Vegas. It's a little bit like Vegas, which is to say that if you fly to these places and in your mind, you're like, I want to have an authentic travel experience. And then you land in Playa del Carmen or in Las Vegas you are not 
going to be satisfied. You're going to be a little bit disappointed. But if someone pulls you aside and says, look, I heard you're going to play at Old Carmen. I got the game plan for you, how to go have a blast down there. If you go in with that mindset, that this is an incredibly fun place with a lot of different things to do, it's super convenient and easy for you to get a ton out of your investment and time and money, you're going to have a great time because there's tons to do. It's easy to do it. It's super fun. It's super delicious. And it's super beautiful. And so Playa del Carmen for me, it's not about having that authentic travel experience that you write about in your journal and you tell about, you write a blog post about how you changed your thinking. It's about taking a break from life, having a quality vacation. I think Playa del Carmen does it great. I brought up Vegas as the comparison, Ian, because for the longest time, I was just a grump about Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Eh, why don't we go somewhere with some real cultural cachet? You know, and it's like, the hell, man, is Vegas. Like, you got to go in and do what it's good at. Yeah. You got to set aside a budget. You got to make yourself a reservation at a big fancy pool. You got to drink some margaritas next to said pool. And you got to choose your game in a casino and stay at a good place. I didn't know that about Vegas. Once I knew that about Vegas, bam, got fun for me. Same deal down in Playa del Carmen. So that's my take, man. I had a blast down there. I'm looking forward to it, dude. I lived down there for two months, almost 10 years ago now. And I think maybe you're even underselling it a little bit. I'm curious to see what it's like now. But uh, totally, you can uh, get your margaritas. But then if you want to have a local experience, you can certainly have that too. And there's tons of natural beauty in that area, like uh, going off to the cenotes, swimming with the turtles, all these things. Yes, like you said, like in Vegas, like that track is like very well worn. People know where it is. Yeah. They want to take you there and all that stuff. But that's part of what makes it cool too. If you want to go on a real adventure, sure, go to northern Vietnam or somewhere undiscovered yeah. in the uh, South Pacific. But if you want to, like you said, have a good time that's like pretty well established, I think Playa is definitely the place. And the way that you're describing this hotel to me sounds amazing. I mean, you said to me, this place might be cooler than the Conrad in Bangkok. Which, that's an outlandish comment. I don't know if I believe that, but it's what you said. And then like the way you described it, like all these levels that like tear down to the beach and like you can just walk directly on the beach from the hotel. The fact that it's two and a half hours away from Austin. I'm like thinking, why didn't you invite me on this little recon trip that you went on the other week? That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited to get over there in May. Uh, you're going to have a blast, man. You know, it's a real five-star resort right on the beautiful beach turquoise water, infinity pools as far as you could see. It's fun. I mean, it's, it's hard to screw it up. It was a really, really fun time. High level of service. And then, of course, like you said, you walk out the street and there's hundreds of places to go and to enjoy. And yeah, super fun. I'm uh, looking forward to going back there with a bunch of DCers. Of course, Ian and I are hosting one of our two big events of the year in Playa del Carmen in May. Looking forward to seeing so many of you there. Final thought on that, Dan, is I have convinced a lot of families to come down too. So people say, bring your family, bring your family, and then they never do. Playa del Carmen is the perfect place to bring your family. This is a beachside resort. You can come early or you can stay late with your family, come to the conference. I understand it's a little bit harder in Bangkok to bring your family. I often do not because it's like a 16-hour journey at minimum, just from continent to continent. Mexico is easy. So think about bringing your family, and I know of at least five families that are coming down for the event. Yes, I saw a bunch of kids there, Ian, for sure, and uh, an awesome sort of 
childcare area. It's like the ultimate sort of birthday party venue on premise that they can use on a daily basis. So yeah, it's easy. And I, I think that's the thing is like, what we're trying to do as event hosts is like, not necessarily expose our members to some cultural experience. We're trying to get everybody to connect. And a lot of that is just logistics. Like you want to have people maximize their time together. And that's exactly what we were optimizing for in the design of this event. And so I'm really excited to see what the execution on that is. But I spent a bunch of time in our meeting rooms, in the different hotel venues, just figuring out how to maximize high quality conversation time. In our meetings, we're saying connection and contribution. Like how do we get people connecting and contributing as much as possible for the amount of time they've elected to be down there? And so that's the goal of the event team. And yeah, excited. I just wanted to go taste the wares a little early. Why not? You know, why not? Just make sure the Marg mix is on point. Details are what make these things work. I'm glad you took those liberties. And uh, maybe I'll be the one doing the recon trip next year. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly thought when I came back, I thought our event manager like underhyped it actually. Because she's a cool cucumber. You know, she's like, yes, this will meet our standard. This will meet our standard. I'm like, great. That's what we're looking to meet the standard. I come back and I'm like, the f- everybody is on the beach. Did anybody tell you it's on the beach? It's incredible. <laughs> the views are incredible. They have multiple pools of like different heights of water and there's water flowing around and they got a bar with sushi. They got a bar with cakes and coffees. If you get your bathing suit, they got a whole store right there. You get a bit. I thought it was great. I thought it was super, super fun, especially the meeting rooms, the different party venues. I think it's going to be super fun. I can't wait to go down to Mexico. By the way, the food is amazing too. You just eat so well in such a small area. We had like great Italian food, great Thai food, great Mexican food, great steak dinner. It was great. Had a, had a blast. Please just tell me it isn't one of those hotels with the scale in the bathroom. That's never what you want to see. <laughs> <laughs> I hate those places. <laughs> All right. A couple other news items. Speaking of events, man, more events than ever. Listeners of this podcast, DC Antarctica is happening right now. It's like we can't be there because we need to do this podcast. But that's right. I'm imagining like a Wes Anderson film, you know? There's all these quirky (laughs) DCers on this ship down in uh, down in Antarctica, you know, like discovering things, perhaps. Spying on species. (laughs) (laughs) And then talking about shiny objects. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah, looking for a report back from that group that's down there. Maybe it's by Telegram or radio. I'm not sure. Hopefully, we'll get something back in the next couple of days to hear how the crew is going. Photograph. Yeah. One more thing is DC Black, our new membership for seven and eight figure founders, some of whom could be West Anderson movie characters, actually. It's a unique crew, it's a unique corner of the internet, highly successful. Really interesting, open, cooperative founders. We have finally opened for open admission. So I just have some notes here. We've been open for a year. There's 100 members in DC Black. And typically, you had to join at a specific moment. And the reason for that was operational. Because we were matching people into masterminds. Now we've got our operation on track. And you can join DC Black anytime now. And that's just opening this week. So now, anytime you're interested, you can go to dynamitecircle.com, 
and raise your hand and say, I would like to hear about DC Black. And I understand the reason we're talking about this now is you and Claire, who run the program, are doing a Q&A next week for anyone curious about what is behind the walls this incredibly exclusive community that the average revenue figures almost 5 million per company. So this is a really, really interesting group of founders. Did I get it right? You got it right, man. I think the important thing... What did I miss? <laughs> you missed a couple of things, but the bones were there, my friend. A the bones good pitch. Were, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> a couple of things. The reason why this is timely and why it relates to Mexico is if you're thinking about coming to Mexico, we have a DC Black slash VIP experience that you can participate in. So if you have yeah. a seven or eight figure business and you want to come to Mexico, you might consider coming as a DC Black member. There's a lot of other benefits yeah. too. Joining the community, the masterminds are going to be firing up again in July. There's peer-led learning sessions. There's one actually led by Anthony Fasano this month, recent podcast guest. If you want to learn more about what a peer-led learning session is, you can come to that Q&A as well. Do you guys make any exceptions for founders that don't yet have a trailing 12 months of a million dollars in revenue? There's an SDE exception, meaning if you make over 350000 in income. Uh, so if you're like a high-powered consultant or something like that, where your business is never going to make $20 because it doesn't need to, then potentially you would be accepted into the program. But there's not so many of those people. Most of the people in the program have somewhere between one and I think over $60 million in revenue, average being around four or five. And can I propose an exception? Sure. Let's hear it. I'm not, no guarantees, but yeah. I haven't been a part of the onboarding process for the last few months. But the one exception I would personally let in is if someone shows up with a high potential, high growth SaaS that's recurring revenue that is just shy of a million dollars, I would definitely let them in. Because I think growing a SaaS company is a lot harder to get to a million in recurring revenue. And that revenue is super, super powerful. And they're kind of destined for big things. What do you think of that? I'm totally into talking to that person. Up until this point, like most of the people that have applied qualify, but this is like a part of a broader conversation, which is like, which revenue stream is more valuable? You know, yeah. like um, e-commerce or SaaS. And I think the answer is pretty clear in the multiples that they go for in terms of when there's a sale. That'll yeah. tell you like which one's more uh, valuable. Well, and there's personality components too, but the punchline I'm trying to make here is or emphasize is like, you got to have a million dollars in revenue to apply for this. That's, that's basically the filter. That's what we're looking for. That's the minimum. And here's the reason why. This was said at the New York event where it was just DC Black members. There were 25 of us that bombed in for three days in New York. During that event in the Skybox, I remember this clearly. Somebody turned after we had a conversation and said, this is the reason I love this community is because I don't have to question whether or not this person is qualified to be talking right now about what they're talking about. I know that they have lived this experience because to be able to be in the skybox right now, you have to have a business that's generating over a million dollars. And because of that, I trust this person. There's a weight to a conversation with someone with, that has a business at scale. There's a weight to what they've accomplished, what they're doing, their platform, their ability to take that conversation to the next level. That is different when people are limited to the realm of ideas. And I think what you're doing in a community like DC Black is you're connecting people with platforms and not just audiences. We're talking about 
cash flows. We're talking about teams. We're talking about market expertise. I think that for better or for worse, it really works. It's an enormous accomplishment to get to that 83,333.33 in monthly revenue and to sustain it for 12 months. That's why we get the P&L signed. We want to see that. That's what it takes. And it's hard to get there. And I think there, it's a special goal to surpass and to move beyond. And the considerations at that level are definitely different. And uh, we're going to talk about some of those considerations on today's podcast. Not to say, Dan, this crowd doesn't have shiny object syndrome, but they've definitely already gone from zero to one. They're going from one to two, maybe even three, four, five. But they certainly, all of them that I've talked to, have been enticed like the Barracuda by the shiny lure to chase. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that's why they tell you down in the keys, you never snorkel with your earrings in. You might get bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's a highly relevant message for our audience who like to bling out. There's no question about it. (laughs) That's right. There's a bunch of Barracudas listening to this pod. And there's no doubt that your powers are indeed dangerous and can definitely be a force in the world. But uh, if that shiny object is indeed a lure, things can go off the trail. Couldn't think of a better, more relevant segue, Ian, than an entrepreneurial barracuda metaphor. I was hoping... Also a great heart song. That's what I was going to say. I was hoping we'd play some heart music right now as we get into the episode. That would be perfect for me and you in this show. All right, Ian, let's jump right into the uh, main segment. Here's the question. How can I get clear on what I want? And I'm going to read this from the DC forum. I'm going to anonymize the poster because I haven't yet reached out to him. But thank you for being vulnerable and posting this. I quote, during a previous TMBA episode, which we'll link to in the show notes if you want to listen to this segment, there was a truth bomb that blew my mind and stopped me in my tracks literally while walking and almost cried because I self-identified with it. And that segment, he writes down some of the quotes. Why is it so hard to have clarity around what you want? Because it is scary, because you have to make a choice, and because it means you aren't going to do other stuff. And I think the majority of people, and I think this is me quoting myself, it's very meta. The, I think the majority of people that I meet with that want to start a business are just frankly not willing to say what they're trying to achieve straight up. Okay, now back to the original poster. All those are things I can relate with. I don't want to commit because it is scary. I want to tinker and play around with various things, having mild success, but nothing major. I believe I have good ideas. Often they are proven eventually by others, yet I failed to execute and follow through. The problem is that I have too many of them and I want to do them all. And then, of course, a new shiny object comes through and derails more and more. How does one get clarity and willpower to execute one thing? Can that be learned or am I doomed? One of the things I want to underline here, Ian, I get the feels right back at him when he says, I believe I have good ideas because they are proven eventually by others. That hurts. It hurts when you had a great idea that you believed in, but not enough to do it. And then you see it beautifully executed by someone else out there in the world. And there's part of you that says, 
great. Somebody finally launched a podcast about barracuda fishing. But there's part of you that thinks that could have been me. I've been dipping my fries in the Wendy's Frosty for years, and now they're offering it as a package. (laughs) That's a great example. Yeah, exactly. And you had the idea. Yeah. But someone at Wendy's corporate went and executed, and that's got to sting. It stings. (laughs) Okay, so they're good ideas we're not executing. Everybody can relate to that. Raise your hand if you can't relate to that. Get out of the room. This isn't the podcast for you. Here's the thing. This audience listening to this pod today, Ian, largely great at going from zero to one. And that's why we're all here. We're fire starters. If you say zero to one in the business world from a revenue perspective, that's probably zero to 500,000 ballpark. Yeah. Go out there. I mean, a lot of us listening to this podcast right now, I say, go start a new business that gets to 500,000 in revenue in the next 12 months. A lot of people are going to be like, yeah, I can do that. Oh, yeah. Start a contest. Man, how many people would join that contest? And that'd be a, a fun one. Yeah. That's a business idea. I'm not going to execute on it. Someone should do that. Zero to 500K. Let's race. Yeah. So, what is zero to 500? For me, it, there's a couple of things. It's like arbitrage, good ideas, testing. A lot of this reminds me of the way my kid operates too at like six. He doesn't want to like follow through on a project for the next two years. We're talking about like making a little device that can talk with aliens. We're not actually going to like follow through with that. He doesn't have the attention span for that. But we are going to like take apart the other toys and like use a speaker and solder some wire together and like make a little bit of a project out of it. I mean, he's good with that attention span. And I think this is like the zero to one phase, which is we all like to tinker and we all like to play. I think that's fun. That should be celebrated. And then I think what you're saying is like we get a little bit disappointed when the PE firm or when someone knows how to make money comes in and takes this idea and goes to $10 million, you think like, well, I had the idea. I started doing this early. I could have done that. But then that person comes in or that firm comes in and they get really serious about the business side of things. And so I think it could be the case that a lot of our audience and maybe even us at times, Dan, I know for us in times, are serious about the tinkering aspect of this. Maybe more so than the business aspect of these ideas. Yeah, I like that. I like that distinction. I mean, the zero to one, part of what the zero to one fire starter, it's being creative, having ideas, but it's also organizing from something to nothing and making it clear to others. And there's something really satisfying about saying, hey, here's an idea. And now here's a landing page and it's a reality and you can buy it and I'm making money from it. And that's a really cool thing. But what I'm hearing you say is like, that's not the path to wealth. That's a path to paying the bills. And so there is this dilemma that a lot of creative zero to one people face, which is like, do I just want to pay the bills with my skill set or do I want to build wealth? And there's a whole nother thing going on that, by the way, there can be a pleasure in that as well. But a lot of zero to one types, maybe they're stuck in this idea that having ideas, tinkering is what is pleasurable. So why would I go find a new business related hobby, which is what we've been talking about as like the scale phase or the messy middle here on the podcast. People that are really effective at getting through that, they end up with more wealth opportunities typically. One other thing I want to highlight about this post, Ian, is there's a whole conversation going on about it. And there's all different kinds of responses. The original poster is showing extreme heart and open-mindedness about 
I am going to go see a therapist. I'm going to like think about psychological blockers and fears. But one of the things that he writes later on is he says, well, the thing is, is I like to do that. People talk about breaking it down into smaller steps, you know, and learning through action, which is a typical response to this kind of shiny object syndrome. Hey, learn through action. Forget about the idea realm. Let's get into the behavior realm. And the thing he says is, I like to do many things and I do take a lot of action. I'm having a difficult time choosing and committing to one thing. And so there is this setup where it's like, you're working hard. Like productivity and action and bravery aren't my problem. My problem is that I love the variety. I love the ideas. I love the zero to one. So here's what we're going to do, Ian. We're going to try to be as non-obvious as possible, but some of them are going to be obvious. We are going to talk about some strategies for addressing shiny object syndrome, and then we are going to talk about some reframes. Sometimes a psychological reframe can make all the difference. So we're going to toss some spaghetti at the wall here and see if we can't make some progress at shiny object syndrome. For context, my Colbe assessment relative to others, and I don't know exactly how Colbe works, I am like an extreme quick start, which means that for me, the concept of going zero to one is like incredibly enjoyable and something that I'm attracted to. And the more uncertain, the more I like solving that problem. Because for me, the more legible a problem gets, the more I'm like, can't someone just take care of this? This is pretty clear here. Whereas like that delta between clarity for a zero to one ideas person and someone who's low quick start, they want more clarity. The delta can be enormous. And that's why people do these kinds of assessments because you want to know when you're communicating to someone where they sit maybe on that spectrum. And so I'm saying this to say, coming from someone who has extreme shiny object syndrome, let's talk about some of the things that have worked for me. By the way, can we just start calling people with the syndrome barracudas? Because I think that sounds like a lot more badass than like saying you have some kind of syndrome or deficiency. You're a barracuda. That's the bottom line. That's, you like shiny things. That's right. So without further ado, from two barracudas to one out there in the ocean, you are not alone. Just don't bite that lure just yet. Here we go. Okay. So here are three smart ways you can go about addressing this problem. And then we're going to talk about a very stupid way. It's going to be exciting. Okay, so the first smart way I have is in fact a viral concept that has led to a big old business that recently sold for a lot of money. The first way is teamwork. Teamwork is a way to address shiny object syndrome. The teamwork solution suggests that you don't need a process or a behavioral change to address shiny object syndrome. It suggests that you need a person and a team. And that person is called an integrator. Okay, so I'm going to bring up EOS, of course, the entrepreneurial operating system popularized by the book Traction that sold millions of copies. It's built a big old business for Gino Wickham and his partner that they recently sold for a lot of money. The reason that this business is worth so much money is it tapped into this psychology and it said, look, You've got the zero to one disease. You are a barracuda. Guess what you need? An integrator. You are a barracuda. You need a friendlier fish that is a little bit more focused to swim along with you. Correct. 
one preferably that you don't want to eat for lunch so it sticks around and does the work that you're not doing because you want to go zero to one. This person's called an integrator. They do the hundreds of pages that exist in this book called Traction, all this complicated operational stuff, and that that relationship is actually at the core of so many business successes. Now, Ian, this viral concept, the visionary integrator setup, is a little bit controversial because people say it's oh too convenient and that it kowtows to our psychology as founders of feeling deficient in the operational sense. That said, it resonates with people and people say, you know what? I am an idea person. I just need an integrator. Yeah. Basically, in a lot of ways, like it gives you permission. You know, whenever I get on a call with somebody and they identify themselves as the visionary, of course, they've read this book. But it also, like, in a lot of ways, lets you off the hook, too. It's like, oh, I'm the visionary. I don't need to do all that process work. Or, like, I'm not really interested in some of these aspects of the business. Like, that's why I have my integrator, basically. Yeah. I do think it's a way to, like, get off the hook with some of this type of work. But I also do think that it's a smart way to actually follow through on your business ideas, too. So it's a way that you can essentially have these great ideas and then have someone on the back end following through, swinging the bat to make sure that you actually hit the grand slam. Yeah, one final thing I'll say on this, Ian, I think the visionary integrator thing can work, but this concept that you can just sort of like dump it all on the desk of an integrator, it's got to be a very high-level person. And I think as the, quote, visionary, the best ones are super attached to the operation and they understand the details of it. So I definitely think it can work. You have someone that's more operationally focused and you have someone that's more ideas focused, that can definitely, definitely work. But it's not a necessarily simple solution because there's a lot of crossover. All right, so the first way we see our listeners deal with shiny object syndrome is teamwork. The second way I see people doing it, Ian, is simply by doubling down. Doubling down and just embracing it is a popular strategy. The typical ways I'm going to see people do this and get themselves on a wealth trajectory are by entering into like some kind of content creation business or some kind of flipping business. Something that depends on you going from like zero to one over and over and over. And that becomes an asset to the business. The final way I see people do it is by starting consulting practices. And like you said, you can have a really, really high dollar like you can be a super consultant. You can work just a few hours a week. You make hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year if you target that energy into the right market. Because this is, is, of course, a superpower. Being able to walk into a complicated situation and make a simple move forward about it. That's why people love being business coaches, right? They walk into this like lack of clarity and they're like, bam, let's arrive at something clarity. That's zero to one rather than tweaking knobs and defining optimizations. And so doubling down on this ability and building a business around it is a legitimate way forward. I think this is why a lot of people are so attracted to Peter Levels, because uh, he seems to be infinitely starting new projects, and they all like go to the moon. So I think people watch him like, oh my gosh, this guy has shiny object syndrome, and it works out for him. Like Every business makes $50,000 a month. Yeah. But Peter Levels is like in the content creation game. He has a massive following on Twitter. Also, I think he picks niches that he's uniquely suited to go after. 
So I don't think it's pulling random ideas out of the sky. I think he does like a lot of work to figure out what the next thing is. And then he like aggressively goes after it. So for somebody like him, I think it looks like shiny objects from the outside, but it isn't actually. One of the ways you can look at it, Ian, is you can just quantify your execution. So I think what happens with a lot of founders is execution means building an organization and being a leader. And Peter, because his execution is in beautifully, elegantly designed, simple software, well, now he can avoid the execution hassles of building an organization and being a leader. And instead, he can lead an audience on Twitter, which wants to be led by just ideas and not frameworks and processes and meeting pulses and all this kind of stuff, right? And when you look at being a consultant, What's the execution in being a consultant? The old joke is, hey, can you pull out your pocket watch? I want to tell you what time it says. This is what a consultant does, right? Yeah. You talk for a living. You, you reframe things for a living. You become an interlocutor for a living. That is an efficient execution method. And so you can be light on the execution if it's efficient. You can like deploy it quickly. Most companies, when you think about them, at a multi-million dollar scale require a much more considered and regular effort when it comes to value delivery. And so this is a way to double down as you think about execution light business models or skill sets. And content creation is one, right? Like if you're a YouTuber or a podcaster or a, a Twitter personality, those platforms do a lot of the execution for you. Your potential audience is there. They're looking for things to do and stuff. And there's the ad partners and all that. And so you don't have to build all of that out. You can simply focus on your ideas and focus on coming up with new stuff every week. And that is essentially another way to double down on this shiny object syndrome. Okay, so we covered teamwork. We covered doubling down. The final way I think that's an interesting way to explore is simplification. If you can simplify your operation and keep it simple, your ideas have more space and time to shine. So one of the things that traction does is it complicates an operation. It makes it pretty complicated to install traction into your business. In fact, every time I speak with someone who's installing it, they're always at a percentage of installation that's below 50%. (laughs) <laughs> this is the other thing that goes viral about traction. Like, what percent are you? I'm, a, I'm about to, to 17% traction right now. I'm about 17%. That's right. It's like, well, this is going to take quite some time to get up, up into the upper 80s and 90s. And that's why it's a great business because you need to keep going back to traction. You need to hire these people to bring them in to do all this complicated stuff you need to do. What if we take it the other way and we just simplify? It's something that I've really been interested in. How can we bring in great people that are focused on one channel, one customer, one mission. If you think about it in food terms, you're focusing on the very basic ingredients and you're keeping it simple. And this is a way that as an ideas person, you can create space and time in an organization that you can then have a platform to do something about your ideas because you're not focused on a big, heavy operation. This takes some bravery, but in the opposite direction, we're just going to do less. We're going to stay focused on the big things 
the small things that make the biggest difference. And so this is something I've really been exploring in our operation, Ian. And I think it's a way that we can still be idea people. The punchline is, is that me and you are both big time barracudas and not necessarily in the hunting sense, but we have ideas all the time. That's why we're founders. And that's why this post resonates so much with us. But on the execution side, we don't have a long history of execution. So why are we going to introduce all of this complicated operational sensibility into our business when in fact we can keep it simple and the goal is to race up to that point where you have enough free cash flow to eventually hire people into the business that bring their processes with them. And we've started to do that in our company. So this strategy of simplification is starting to pay dividends. If you looked at our company a few years ago, it was much more complicated than it is right now. And we're doing better. We're making more money. We have better people involved. And everything's a lot simpler. Dan, I don't think anybody like actually wants a complicated business. That's the thing, right? Like You just end up there. Let's see now. That's interesting. Let's go down this rabbit hole a little bit. Nobody wants like a bunch of shit flying everywhere, right? Everybody actually, I think, wants simplification. Nobody wants these obscure processes. They want a straight line to the money, but it gets obscured. At some point, you're like, well, maybe we need to do this. Maybe we need to like go to these places. And it starts to get obscured. And so you're doing all this stuff to get the money. Because you don't feel like there's a straight line to the money. And then you look next to you and you see somebody else with like a very similar business with half the people or whatever it is, right? Like half the process. And you think like, well, how are they getting the money so easy? Why is there such a straight line between their organization and the customer? Well, this happens too when you pay people to do a simple job. Almost invariably, they will use the money that you've paid them to justify a more complicated job. Yeah. And then so it is the role of the leader to keep it simple as you grow. You have to find ways to identify the clear lever to their behavior, to what the company is trying to achieve and how it makes money. And what's crazy is that gets more complicated as you scale the team and the organization. It becomes harder to keep it simple, but it becomes more important to keep it simple. And so this can be a great creative challenge, actually, if you look at it that way. Our buddy Noah Kagan, like I asked him uh, recently, what do you guys do? You know, it was like, we're just having fun. I was like, what do you do? And uh, his answer was something like, we sell software at a discount. And it was just that simple. This is an $80 million company. We sell software at a discount. You ask most people that are making a million dollars in revenue what they do, the answer is very complicated. (laughs) It's like, well, how many minutes do you have? It's like, well, we do this thing. And then like, well, if this customer does this, and then we do this and this and this and this and this. And I think you're right. The bigger the business gets, the more definition you need to have around what it is. And I don't think you can't not start that way either. You can just start that way too. We sell software at a discount. We make half a million dollars, right? But it gets messy in the middle somewhere when you start doing a bunch of stuff for customers that you don't have a direct line to your revenue at. So you want to go zero to one? Go zero to one on this simplification. What does your company do? Tell me in a sentence. Number two, what's your goal for the next 12 months? Tell me that in a sentence. And make it clear. I want to know a goal that everybody would understand. You can have a quantitative and a qualitative goal if you just want to be extra credit because you're a barracuda. Next step, what is every team member doing on a weekly basis that is contributing to that goal? And maybe put a number next to that too. Final piece. 
When's the next time you're going to talk to them about that and how are you going to talk to them about it? That's it. Simplify. Now you've got time for your ideas. So Ian, we've talked about, quote, smart ways to deal with shiny object syndrome. We talked about teamwork, simplification, and we talked about doubling down, constructing a business around the zero to one mindset. Now I want to change tack and talk about what I'm calling the white knuckle kitchen sink strategies. So we kind of talked about like, there's an elegance to like getting a teammate. There's an elegance to simplifying and creating an operation that a visionary can run. We'll put it in EOS terms. There's an elegance to doubling down on your skill set as a zero to one person. But a lot of what people talk about when we talk about shiny object syndrome is white knuckling it, somehow getting over it from a psychological or a mindset perspective. And let's talk about three ways we could approach that. The first is with a reframe about what actually is shiny objects and why are we attracted to them and why do we identify as having liked them? Here's one reframe. Shiny objects are everywhere, Ian. Even inside your own business that you're running right now. And in fact, in your own business, they're often shinier. But you can't see them because you haven't heard this reframe yet. If your superpower is having ideas, channel it inward and be creative about your business and your operation versus something outside of it. So this is what we've been calling, between me and you, we've been calling it have ideas through versus ideas around. So when things get hard, and maybe there's like some psychological elements here, like you're feeling constrained or you're feeling a lack of freedom, and that might come from something that you're not really aware of, but it might manifest in a strange idea like, oh, well, the moment you have to go to a meeting, you can't help but think of starting uh, that e-cigarette brand that you've been putting off for years because you know it's a great opportunity versus sitting in a meeting where there's handfuls of great opportunities that you actually have the power and the resources to maybe do something about it. Why don't we see these shiny objects that sit right in front of us? The why might be a long and personal journey, but we can take a look at inspirations who do this really well. Look at Jeff Bezos. I find Jeff Bezos an inspiration because it's obvious to me that he's taken this personal passion for ideas and he's applied it to his own platform. And that around every corner in the Amazon, there's a fresh, new, interesting idea about how to pursue opportunities, about how to make money, and about how to have a career or business. And Jeff's done a really good idea of taking all these ideas and applying them and seeing his business as an opportunity to do that. And again, this is the irony and the sadness to shiny object syndrome in the classic sense, which is all the shiny objects are right here. This is the opportunity. This is where I have resources, I have team, I have expertise, I have industry know-how. Why can't we apply our creativity right here so we can look to inspiring figures like Jeff Bezos, read the book Working Backwards. He saw ideas through, not around. We just saw the San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl, Americans who watched the Super Bowl this past week. Read the book, The Score Takes Care of Itself. Take a look at Bill Walsh, someone who had incredible ideas. His legacy still lives on today in that organization, one of the most successful of all time, incredible levels of competition, 
he saw an opportunity to take a learned bookish approach to what was traditionally kind of a more a more meathead kind of pursuit. Football, you're banging your heads into each other. And he says, no, this is an opportunity for us to apply the best ideas in this organization. And the amount of shiny objects that come up in a football organization are everywhere. What are we going to do about how people interact? How are we going to run plays? What kind of personnel are we going to select? It goes on and on and on. And this is, again, the irony is there are so many shiny moments in every business, an opportunity for you to apply that creativity to write a fresh vacation policy, to figure out a new meeting pulse, to figure out an addressable market to go after or a funding solution. But for some reason, we have difficulty seeing things this way. So we can find inspiration from Bill Walsh, from Jeff Bezos, and many others about how reframing what got you here, if we take that same passion and skill set and see that it can benefit us by applying it to what we're already doing, could inspire us to do so. I'll throw another name into the hat there, Dan, which is a little bit unconventional in terms of this conversation that we're having right now, but it's Tim Ferriss in the 4-Hour Workweek. He had an exercise in that book, which was called The Dreamline, and he filled out these three sections, and it was being, having, doing. These are all things that you're looking to do in the future, have in the future, or be in the future. And generally, we speak about the dreamline in a different context, which is like, how can I change my life? But I just bring it up in this context because I think the question is, like you said, white knuckling, working your way through this, is like, is what I'm working on right now going to get me to these goals? And if not, maybe you need to get off it. But is there a chance that you can white knuckle through this opportunity in service of all the things that you want to be, have, and do and see this through? And I think in a lot of cases, the answer could be yes. Like you said, this organization actually will catapult me to my dream of having a million dollars. This will catapult me to my dream of taking four family vacations a year. This will make me an expert in this area, which I want to be seen as. And so if you can look through this dreamline potentially and see yourself with this business as being able to get there, I think that maybe you can use that as motivation to work through the issues in your organization, to push through, and to see it as a vehicle or a vessel to get you what you need. Because I think so often, we look at these other shiny objects, or we look at these other businesses, or we look at other people's lives, and we think, well, that's an easier or a better way to get there. The reality is, if you have a $500,000 business or a million-dollar business, you've done so much hard work to get yourself in a position where you're earning this revenue, that it might just take a couple tweaks, insights, like you said, shiny objects within the organization to chase to be able to get what you really want. It doesn't mean that you need to turn the car around. It just means that you need to push the gas a little bit harder and realize that what you have is what you already need and to push through. All right. So, great reframe. And I want to jump on that because I might actually take what you just talked about which is a framework for goal setting. And I would put that up under simplification. And I want to bring it up under that context because it's been very profound for me. Something you said, guess what? We're sad about shiny object syndrome because we think that it's short-circuiting our ability to reach our goals. Well, here's my question. What goals? What goals exactly? Is it short-circuiting? And how is that creating pain? Let's take a look at the goal. because. Everyone who has the success that you're dreaming of, that you're seeing out there, 
that you think shiny object syndrome is getting in the way, they went through this process. Whether or not they wrote it down or not, they achieved successive and progressive goals. They continued to move forward to the next goal. And the question is, is are you going to do that? And that's why we're bringing up Tim Ferriss is because he's great at that. He's saying this is progressive and successive goals. We're going to achieve them and we're going to short circuit the fears that get in our way. That's Tim Ferriss' message, right? What's the worst that could happen? Well, we know what's going to happen if we go back and go zero to one, which is we're going to be able to do it yeah. because that's what we do. But the progressive goal, you know what? It's a lot easier to keep it a little bit vague and be like, well, those people that had that success that I want. Because that success that you want is probably a number and probably a state of being associated with the business that gets you there. And the distance between where you're at and where that is can be defined and written down. And you can be held accountable to that. But it feels better to do what we're good at and put a little bit of money on a number and see if that number comes up. But what we're trying to get to is a point where we're writing it down and we're moving to that number and everybody in the organization knows that we're moving to that number. And you can do that if you have shiny object syndrome. That's the thing. You can do two things at once. You can both like ideas and opportunities and have a clear goal for your company and your organization. And I think that's what we're trying to get to here is keep it simple. But that vague thing that you're trying to get to, that you're disappointed that you're not moving in that direction, let's see if we can write it down and see what it actually is. And that's a zero to one thing, right? That's the reframe here. If you don't have it, and then next week you have it, that's your zero to one this week, right? You did exercise your ability to create clarity out of uncertainty. But now instead of it on a landing page or a Facebook page or in a tweet or in a group, in a room at a conference where you can convince people to buy that new thing that you created, now you're doing it for your company. And that's just a way of saying, instead of leading externally, you're just leading internally a little bit more. It's the same practice. Yeah. So that's the reframe here, Ian, is we're saying, hey, that syndrome that you have, it's a superpower and it works really well in the context of companies, actually. And that's essentially what EOS is pointing out too, which is, hey, guess what we're going to do with the visionary? We're not going to fire them. We need a visionary. We need the visionary in this company. We just need to recognize that they're currently not doing all these things and that we need to get on with some of that. Okay, we're all over the shop here. We're excited. We're white knuckling. Okay. The first white knuckle strategy is to reframe. Gian just did for us. The second white knuckle strategy is accountability and community. Accountability and community, it is enormous. And I'm talking get it done tomorrow, get it done right away. I had a draft of a little something I'm cooking up. I had a proto idea that needed to be finished. It's a lot of work. And so what I did is I called up a friend who was doing similar kinds of work. And I said, let's sit next to each other for half the day on these days and make sure that that's what we're doing. And you know what, Ian? It's just so damn effective. It's so damn simple. It's hard to go to the gym alone. Go to the gym with your friend. Yeah. Go to the gym with someone else who wants to get strong too. And I understand why people don't do it because there's every reason to just do something easier than say, 
this is weird. I'm an adult and I want to hang out all day and hold ourselves accountable, but it also can be fun. I had a blast doing this and it just makes your life so much easier. We're social creatures when you're with somebody and you're saying, yo, we're doing this. And so that's another white knuckle strategy. There's a couple of different ways like this accountability and community really kicks in. So in DC Black, for example, we have these mastermind calls, Dan, once a month. Before the hot seats get kicked off, meaning you come, you present your problem or your idea, we have an accountability section, basically, which is like, hey, Dan, 30 days ago when we met, you said that your biggest initiative was hiring a new producer of the podcast. How is that going? And then you get to say like, I haven't done anything. I'm sorry, guys. Or you get to say like, yeah, I worked on it and I hired him and this is great. And then you get to have that element of accountability. And I think the same thing is true when you sit down next to somebody. It feels very weird as an adult to say, hey, man, we're going to meet on Thursdays and we're going to like work on this writing. And you're like, can't you just do that on your own? And the answer is yes. But the question for me is always when I don't do something like that with somebody is how much progress did I actually make? Because you can trick yourself into thinking that you made a bunch of progress when you just went to the cafe and ordered a latte and like wrote down some ideas, right? But when you're with somebody and you actually have an accountability partner in the true sense of the term, you check on each other to make sure that things were actually done. So I think that you're right to say this is like a very effective strategy, which is to have accountability and community. The tricky part is to have people that are actually moving with kind of the same speed and velocity, not necessarily in like the same direction, but this can't be like a monthly like, oh yeah, we did the thing, which is like we met up. That can't be the thing. The thing is actually you got the writing done and progressed in a certain way. So don't trick yourself into thinking like the meeting up was the thing because that happens. What really needs to happen is the progress. So these tools, they work great. Use them as tools. Yeah. And you know what I love is it can be a reframe of your reality. This, this is why you get into a cold plunge or take a cold shower. It's like, gets your heart rate up. It gets, you know, you're pumped up. It's We're sitting at these desks, right? You know, trying to take on the world with some kind of intensity. That's not necessarily like the posture, you know, you want. You, you know what you're I mean? Literally, your feet are literally on the ground. Your ass is in a chair and your fingers are on a keyboard. That's not attack mode. Yeah, it's not attack mode. But there can be something about the frame shift of, hey, we're going to go to this cafe. We're going to go on this retreat. We're going to rent this Airbnb. We are going to go to this alternative location where there's literally nothing else to do except this thing, and we're doing it. And I think that's very powerful. That's why we go to events. That's why we're not jumping on Zoom. We're going there, and we're getting in person, and we're doing it. That's community. That's accountability. That's a second white-knuckle strategy. The third white-knuckle strategy, we're going to call it the hero script. We're going to call it having your moment. This is a white-knuckle strategy. This is recognizing that, okay, shiny object syndrome is a bit of a liability for me right now. But guess what? When I meet successful founders, aside from shiny object syndrome, they're also afflicted successful founders, every single one of them has a story of their hero's journey. And what I mean by that is that moment when they bent reality and they made up for lost time. Because if there's somewhere where you want to end up that's beyond where you're at right now, you got to find a way to make up time. And typically that means getting rid of other things that you're currently doing and focusing in on the one lever that's going to get you ahead, whether that's making sales, launching the new product, launching the new business. There's this beautiful article by Jason Cohen called You Can Have Two Big Things. We're going to link up to it. 
yeah, I'm familiar. So it's like jobs, kids, spouse, social life, major hobby, startup. Like you can only yeah. be good at two of those things. And what I love about this is the last point we talked about getting clarity around goals. So look, if you're smart enough to start a business, you're probably smart enough to at least quantify to a degree what it's going to take from an input perspective to get where you're going in the ballpark, right? And what Jason's doing in this article is he's breaking it down and saying, like, okay, let's break down your week and see how you're spending your time. And let's actually talk about how many calls you're going to need to make, how many emails you're going to need to send, how many deals are going to need to construct, how's it going to get done? You start to quantify these things and realize, shit, I need to make some space to go on a hero's journey. You know, I need to change up my situation. I need to put my back up against the wall by looking at the numbers and saying, it's never going to happen with this current balanced approach where even during my work time, I got a hobby, I got a spouse, I got a kid, and I got a business. And when I get to the business, which is a quarter of the time, about a quarter of that time, I get to do the thing that I really think is going to move the needle. And the reality is successful entrepreneur is just another word for reality understander and exploiter. Because the reality of making wealth from your business is undisputed, right? That's a real thing in the world. And so the question is, well, how can we understand how to get there? We start to create realities that we think are correlated with that. And almost always those realities involve an incredible amount of input from the founder that you're going to have to do at one point in your story arc. And the question is, is that going to be now? Is it going to be later? Are you going to put some soft bets on the table and hope the universe comes back and agrees with you? Or are you going to clear your plate, get focused, and get it done and go on your hero's journey now? That's also why I think, Dan, a lot of these businesses, we saw them built, and certainly this was our case, like in your 20s for a lot of people, when you didn't have a lot of things going on and when you could clear a plate and you start these businesses and then they plateaued, a lot of them. You started to maybe have some other life interests because you got a little money and you could start to afford some of these hobbies and do some of these other things. You're looking back at your business and you're thinking, well, why didn't it grow like in my 30s? What happened? What's the reason for this? Well, you diversified your time in a lot of cases and certainly in mine too. Like this started to happen as well, which is you diversified your time. You got into other things and then something plateaued. Maybe it was your business or maybe it was your hobby, depending on what you're focused on your time with. That being said, I don't think it's ever too late to reconsider these things, to put down the golf sticks, put down the vacations, like whatever it is, become a weirdo again, giving everybody permission, become a weirdo, go back to the woodshed for a year or two on your business, shut your door in my case, tell your kid I'll see you at 4.30 instead of 2.30 when they get off school. I know that's heartbreaking for me and a lot of other people, but you're making this commitment. And the reason you're making this commitment to yourself and to your business, if this is what you want to focus on, is because it's going to pay dividends three years from now when you get back on it. It's going to pay dividends if you can get back in there and have this hero's journey and focus. Yeah, straight up. I think the bottom line here is that it doesn't need to be forever. But I personally, having a moment, creating a moment, understanding that those are the conditions under which this stuff happens, believing in it, creating space until you start to see progress towards those outcomes, that's table stakes. That's what's required. When you said it, it doesn't have to be forever, I think that that's so true. And that's the reason why so many of us are addicted to this business lifestyle. 
is because you can work really hard for a couple of years and then you can chill and work really hard and chill. And in a traditional career, you can't do that because you're like, you're roped to the desk. Yeah, you can like not work hard. It's more chronic. Yeah, it's chronic. So you can't get away from it. So I think this idea that you can like work hard and chill is very true and it's very powerful. Yeah, I'm actually printing that t-shirt like as we speak. That's my next business idea. Work hard and chill squad. And by the way, if you just want to like work hard, you just turn out like Elon Musk, which is you have like limited exposure to like your 5X wives and whatnot, which is <laughs> a life decision that you can make for yourself. But the end result of like doing some chilling might be a $20 million business instead of a $200 million business. Yeah, I like that. And I like this work hard and chill concept because if you've reframed this concept of shiny object syndrome, part of your zero to one can be that work hard segment of your life. How about go out and build that? How will your weeks be reconstructed? How will you reconstitute things? How will you hold yourself accountable? What does the organization look like? What does the sprint look like? What does the hunt look like? Let's figure it out. And if I think if we can agree that there's not only a pleasure in determining that plan, but in what the payoffs are going to be, you're taking your skill set and applying it to a bigger game versus when you look at that business idea that needs to get done, you're doing all this intuitively because you're an expert at it at this point. You've gone zero to one 10 times and the one business has worked out, which is the percentages, right? You've done 10 projects. Now you've got a business. And your options are to do 10 more projects or to do the business 10 times harder. And the challenge is they could be considered the same skill set if you think about it at a high enough level. But the reason it's harder to do it at a business because you haven't done it before and it's harder to see. But if we can see it, we can reframe it and see it's the same thing. Going from zero to one is the same kind of challenge and uncertainty as going from one to two, three to four to five. Yeah. I just got to look at it a little bit differently. That personally is the way I've been approaching shiny object syndrome. And with all the things that we've talked about today, we've all been through this ringer. Ian and I are both Barracuda. I can't tell. Do we wear earrings when we go scuba diving? I don't know. The point is we got shiny object syndrome. We get it. And these are some things that have worked for us and that we're currently working on. So we would love to hear what's working for you. We appreciate the responses we've been getting from this stuff. And we hope that what you heard today can inspire you to go from one to two. All right, Ian, that's it for this week. Shiny object syndrome. I love to have it continue to be a conversation because I think it's a really live one for so many of us. In some ways, it's like a theme that comes up all the time, but doesn't go named. So uh, pretty cool to get a chance to talk about it. I feel like sometimes when we do a podcast like this, where we talk about these big ideas after we've done it, I feel a little bit insecure. I don't really know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to figure this stuff out because I feel the same thing that today's poster felt, which is I don't want to screw this up. I don't want to screw up the opportunity to build this great business. And I just want to make sure that the proclivities that got us here, the opportunity seeking, all the cool things to do, don't interfere with the opportunity to build a great business. I feel the same way as you do. And just know that as a Barracuda, sometimes you bite the line and it has a lure on it. And that's an unfortunate situation because your life might be over. But there's a lot of living Barracudas out there that just bite the shiny fish 
in the sea and they live to see another day because that's their food. That's right. That's the way that that's they right. get it. That's a beautiful image. So we just get the shiny fishes. They're delicious. <laughs> They'll sustain you onto whatever the end of the... I don't. Where do barracudas actually ultimately want to end up? <laughs> At a barracuda party. Probably. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chilling, very slowly moving through the water until they have to attack, which is, again, yeah. this idea chill. of like you chill and then you sprint. You chill and you sprint. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Let's chill out now. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.